If your job is on life support, you need the job doctor. My brain is a walking database of thousands of case studies on how careers rise and fall. I'll help you diagnose what's really going on. It's the guidance you need to get back on track from someone who's been there. You can make the money you always wanted to make, doing the type of work you have always wanted to do. You may just need a little help from the job doctor. Hello, everybody. This is the job doctor. The doctor is in. We're going to change it up a little bit today. Sometimes I just have things on my mind. And rather than take calls from employees and individuals in the workforce today, I wanted to talk to a fellow HR evangelist about why is it so stinking hard to hire people? And what are some of the things that are kind of tripping everybody up? I just want to talk about trends and and what's going on in the market. So today I have Jordan with me. He's an HR evangelist. You'll learn what that is at Eddie HR, which is a local payroll and HR company. They target the deskless worker to help hire and retain employees. So he sees this world as well as I do. Uh, welcome to the program, Jordan. Hey, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Tessa. He and I were talking the other day and I said, you got to be on the podcast. I mean, we were talking about some of the things going on out there with hiring and I loved his point of view. So Jordan, let's kind of pick up where you and I left off on our conversation. One of the things that has been so difficult in this market has been, we haven't had like major advances in the way we attract or hire people. It's really hard. My son was trying to get yeah. a job and he was applying. It, it took me an hour and a half helping him. And I consider myself a relatively smart person to get, you know, the, the application in and figure out how to get something over the finish line. And I saw lots of problems with not only the way that you apply for jobs, but companies aren't sharing compensation. And sometimes you don't even know if you're in the right ballpark and you're wasting time. What are you yeah. saying? No, you're, you're a hundred percent accurate. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because, um, there's a ton of like job boards out there. There's a lot of places you can go to find those jobs. But once you dive into it and get on those job boards, you're 100% correct. They're, they're not showing 100% compensation. You don't know if you're the right fit. It's showing requirements that may be above and beyond what you have. But you think like, oh, I have to have a bachelor's degree and five-year experience. Well, I do have a bachelor's degree, but I've only been doing it for a year and a half. Do you think I qualify? And then you look through the rest of the, the description of the job and you're like, well, I think I fit most of it. Should I apply or should I not? And it's it, it's it's an interesting market. Yeah, for sure. So. Well, and the pay part is so fascinating. I just saw that another state passed a law that said, you know, we have to share the compensation range, which I actually personally, I like because I want to know what a company thinks this particular job is worth before we get into it. And having been on the other side where I'm hiring yeah. people, like we'll always hire people for the least amount of money that we can give them to make them happy. But I think it really, when we don't post what the job pays, it's a disservice to people. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it needs more states need to do that or there needs to be something more broadly established on compensation rates? Yeah, so we actually work on that side and we uh, you know, consult and help those companies for job postings. And uh, the algorithms within the job boards, like the Indeeds, the ZipRecruiter and stuff like that, if you just put like $14 an hour or $40,000 salary, whatever the, the number is, you get like significantly less candidates. And so what we've been training them on, and it's ways to kind of break those algorithms and get more candidates in the system, 
is you can't just do a, a flat rate like $15 or $80,000 salary. You have to put a range and it has to be a decent size range. And so if you wanted to target someone at, at say $16 an hour, you need to put 12 to like $22 an hour because what that's going to do is going to get more people to apply. It's going to see more candidates in the system and then you can make your decision after that. But yeah, you, you definitely have to have that compensation. And I'm still shocked that some people try not to put the compensation in there because they'll try and hide it and get the candidates in and then tell them, oh yeah, we only paid, you know, 40,000 when they were looking for 80,000. It's like, well, why do we waste our time, right? So it drives, 100%, yeah, we definitely, it drives me crazy. But there's also dishonesty, I think, in the way that people post for a job. Like case in point, garage door installer. What would you think that would pay? I'm giving you a test. Uh, in today's market, probably 24 to 25 bucks an hour. Yeah, that's what I would think too, right? I'm thinking like 20 bucks an hour, 40,000 a year. Um, it says... 60 to $120,000 a year. I'm like, that is just crap. Are you kidding me? And so already before you even apply, it's an inefficient process because you got a bunch of kids going, you know, oh, I can make a hundred grand a year. You can make $120,000. They don't see the 60, they see the 120. Yeah. 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 And, and when I worked at Vivint Solar, um, you know, it was a hundred percent commission job. And I remember yeah. we were trying to post the job and one of the sales guys, they always love to, you know, juice things up and make it sound as great as possible. They're like $500,000 a year. And we're like, no, we're not posting that. I mean, maybe a couple of guys <laughs> make that, but that's not actually what is a yeah, realistic expectation. And when you've got the turnover, like you have in a direct sales world, it's like, no, you want to set, I think an honest job description is the best thing a company can do. Honest job description about what it is and what to expect with pay so that you don't violate expectations. Because the other part is, you know, you get this flowery description of what the job is and then you start your first day and you're like, what the crap is this? This is not what was advertised. That's an interesting subject. And so we've done a ton of study and, and training on this. And so the first thing is obviously always be honest, right? That is 100% what you should do. But the second is, is keep it simple. The more basic the, the job description, the better. And so we say have three to five points and highlight like your best attributes. It's almost like a dating profile, right? Mm -hmm. You were to like put up a dating profile. You're going to put your best picture. You're going to put like, for me, I, I love to mountain bike. I love to do this. Like kind of the things that you like to do and enjoy. It's not going to be like a 2000 word description of like who Jordan was and what his past is. Right. Um, it's going to be specific to what's going to attract him. Like, for example, at Eddie, we have an awesome lady named Mindy. She has Mindy's cafe and she cooks for us four days a week. And so as a team, we sit down and we eat, we get to enjoy her delicious food, spend time together, build our culture. And so we highlight that we put pictures in there. We talk about it, but that's a huge highlight. I mean, for other companies that maybe local restaurants, or we like to do quarterly events or whatever it may be, but put those like highlighted attributes, compensation with a range, um, and just keep it simple and get them in the door and then work your magic from there to get them hired. Right. So anyways, but the, the more simple, the better. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And in fact, you're speaking to something that I talk to individuals all the time about. I'm always harping on this idea of value proposition. What's your value proposition and keeping yeah. it at a third grade level, like strip out all the freaking buzzwords and just tell me what you do well in a way I can understand it. And what you just described is companies can hire people or at least increase their ability to get people in the door if they're a honest and b straight and to the point and lead with their value proposition, which I am telling you, I just looked at about 
15 job descriptions yesterday. And yeah. uh, my, my son said, take a look at these. What do you think? I'm like, I want to kill every one of these. Like whoever posted this, this is ridiculous. These job descriptions, it's so hard to sort through what they need. And what they need to say is, you should work for me because I offer this, 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 and this. My value proposition. And it's got to... Beautiful. And yeah. then go say, here's, here's a perfect candidate. We'll know how to do this, this, and this. Period. That's how you get people in the door. But people, I, I don't know. I, I just don't like what I'm seeing on job boards at all. I'm right there with you. I mean, they're way too wordy. And they try and come up with like creative names like wizard, uh, expert, like scientist at this. And it's like, no, they're, they're a salesperson. Like, you know, just we need a salesperson that hit these kind of numbers or something like that. Be, be 100% blunt and frank with them with what you want. So. Love that. On that point, Jordan, I am going to go back in history. If any of you have ever studied Ernest Shackleton, you know, he's a guy that put together an expedition, a very dangerous expedition. And I'm looking at his help wanted ad that he put up on all of the streets, you know, to try and get people to help. Now, this is direct and honest. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. That was his ad. Is that hilarious? That is like honesty to a T. And yet he had a whole bunch of people apply for that. He had no trouble filling it. Isn't that funny? But why though? Why, why do you think they applied? That's why I'm curious about like just the adventure you think? That's about, that'd be my guess. Like, oh, let's go on the adventure with him. I think it's the adventure. And I think, um, you know, the idea that they could be successful in their, you know, finding wonderful things that could be written about and exploring the world, I think that really appealed to people. Hopefully, companies aren't that bad, although I know a few that probably should advertise that. Honestly, they're that bad. <laughs> but Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, on that topic, I think a lot of companies aren't clear on their value proposition. And I think they're advertising. They think that when they say rich benefits package, PTO time off, 401k, that that's a value proposition. And that's white noise because it's so standard. It doesn't mean anything. It it was 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean. So what do you see? You work with smaller companies at Eddie. And so uh tell me. What are you seeing in terms of a shift to actually attract millennial and Gen Z? I want to see if our experiences are syncing up because I think we're in the middle of a huge transformation right now. So the the biggest thing that's attracting them is um, they want to have transparency. So honesty, right? Right. They want freedom mm-hmm. and they want to be able to work like like a hybrid shift, like remotely. And so those are kind of the three things that we're seeing the most of. And then they do care about pay, obviously, but not as much as you would think. They want to be compensated for what they do. But like the biggest thing they want out of anything is they want a company that they can respect and be valued. And so if they can come into a company and provide value, they want to like get that recognition and be rewarded for it with more time off and freedom to do what they want and work their own schedule. But that's kind of what I'm seeing. So I see that a lot too. In fact, everywhere I travel, I ask my Uber driver or Lyft driver, and they're usually young. Hey, do you like your job? What do you see yourself doing? Are you trying to you know, do something else or do you like this? And I can tell you that about eight out of 10 of them say, I want to do gig work and I'll just take on the jobs that I want when I want because flexibility rules for me. I want to have flexibility. 
Like, wow, like that's a big shift. My generation was scared to death of gig work. We're like, no, just yeah. give me a full-time job with benefits, please. And that is not the same. I want to be stable. Yeah. Yeah. And when it's I ask them that. why, they say, yeah, nothing's stable. I, I barely have enough money in my bank account to pay, you know, my next bill. If life isn't stable and I don't know what to count on, I sure as hell am not going to be able to afford a house. Then the next best thing I can do is enjoy the work that I'm doing and make sure that, you know, I go where I'm enjoying life and, you know, and liking what I do and having flexibility to kind of experiment. I'm like, wow, okay, very different. I've seen lots of people taking on actually more than one job. It's not honest, but I've been seeing this recently where they're looking at the expectations that they're required to commit to, right? And if they can complete that 40-hour job in 10 hours, they're like, great, I'll do this job in 10 hours. But I'm also going to go do these other two jobs that, you know, supposedly that they're 20 hours and I can do them in 10 hours as well. And so I've seen multiple people that are taking on two to three W-2 jobs and making decent salaries at all of them. But what you explained is, is if people could do like gig work or have like project-based stuff and get paid for it, it, it might be a better solution for it. So, And it, the companies kind of win too because they don't have to pay, you know, benefits. But here's, yeah. what's, here's what's really interesting to me. I was teaching a class on this the other day. I looked at the average number of jobs and the average tenure that people had in each generation. You know, if you go back, um, sure. my, my dad's, you know, it was 10 plus years in a job. You go to my generation, it was eight years and some change. You go to millennials, it's like four and a half. You go to Gen Z and it's like two. And when you look at what the experts' predictions are in terms of number of jobs you'll have in a lifetime, I mean, it used to be two, maybe three. And then it goes to five or six. They're now saying, a lot of experts are saying, if you fast forward a decade, the average number of jobs a person will have in a lifetime is 30. 30. Wow, And it's because of this shift that we're seeing in transient work and and Gen Z saying, yeah, I'm going to switch around. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to do a lot of things. I'm going to take on a lot of jobs. So companies that are saying, my value proposition is a 401k. I'm looking at that going, well, that's going to appeal to a certain population, but Gen Z is only expecting to work 2.2 years in any given job, do you think a four-year vest is actually going to be a value? Is that going to speak to what they want? Or is frequent bonuses, evaluating your compensation, uh, remote work, training you for the next role or, or, you know, or ownership opportunities in a company? That's what I think is going to speak to more short-term things, a lot more short-term things appeal to a Gen Z, where if you go back to my generation or my, go back to my dad's, they wanted yeah. to retire. That's what they were thinking about. You go to my generation, I want a house. You go to millennials, they just want to have some nice stuff and have some security. And now you go to Gen Z and they're like, screw it all. We won't get any of it. I just want to be happy. <laughs> so I think employers have to speak to, you know, that short-term focus that the upcoming generation has. Yeah. I love the companies out there that are being creative in that aspect because yes, we all want 401ks. We want a retirement plan. Those are kind of like a... I hate to say like antiquated way of doing it, but like what if companies offered like, Hey, we help you get your first Airbnb built out. We help you build out your first rental properties. Like something like that oh my would be way more exciting for like a Gen Z than like a 401k plan that you don't even invest in until like year three. Like yeah. they don't care. What about, <laughs> what about helping a Gen Z say, we're going to help you get a car, pay for a car and yeah. we'll subsidize your car payment. What? 
I think that lot. would really. I want to pay for my car. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, in fact, if I could build, and I'm going to ask you what you would build. So think of that. Think about that for a second. Yeah. If I could build the perfect new way of doing things for companies, I would say it's more of a choose your adventure approach to benefits. Maybe you have three tiers uh, that speak to more long-term, mid-term, and then really short-term things. And maybe a Gen Z comes in and says, I want subsidy on the car payment. I want help with um, financial planning. So I know how to do like, they're all messing around in Robin Hood and losing their shirts. But how do I, how do I learn how to invest in small ways and figure out how to do that? And, you know, maybe it's a, I want some ownership in the company. Like I want to get a portion of the profits every quarter or something like that. And I want, um, you know, I want more PTO days. Whereas a longer and older generation person's like, I'll sign up for the 401k. Give me that. And the short term and long term disability and the life insurance because I'm going to die. And just let people pick what they, what their life and their stage in life says really they value. So that's what I would do. What would you do in the perfect world of HR? What would you design? You know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think you'd have to do multiple options for the different generations, right? But the other thing that, that's really intriguing is like gig work or have it like be project based. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you could set it up that you would say like, hey, here's a list of the things that we need to accomplish this year in 2023, right? Right. And you take your employees and you're like, okay, think about what your skill set is and what things you feel like you can accomplish on this list. And we'll give you the compensation for each task that needs to be accomplished. And they could go in and pick what jobs they want to do and what they're going to accomplish in 2023 and get paid for it. And when they're done, they're done. Yeah. So like if it, if you guys projected it was going to take 12 months, but they did it in two, they still get the full compensation because they did exactly what you asked them to. Right. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I think it's really about those expectations. And so that'd be one fun th- way of doing it. And then I really like the idea of like, Hey, you know what? I want to get into a rental properties. I want to build something that's going to give me a secondary income because I think that's what a lot of them are looking for right now mm-hmm. is they don't want just their main job. They want to have like a secondary income or another way to, to bring in revenue. And so if a company could teach them to do that, whether it's through rental properties, Airbnbs, uh, getting into Turo, like renting cars out, whatever it may be, but like teaching them that way to get a secondary income instead of a 401k, I think would be way more enticing because they get the asset and the revenue now. So that is really interesting. I've never even thought of that as a potential benefit, but knowing what I know about millennial Gen Z, that would speak to them. That would definitely speak to them. Very cool idea. You should, you should start a company. Yeah, let's do it. I'm in. (laughs) Wow. All right, Jordan, I've been asking all the questions and just kind of out loud thinking it's your turn though. Um, What's on your mind? Oh, awesome. No, your expertise is, is super valuable. And so I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I've talked to a ton of people, but Utah, for example, is ranked 26th in the country in regards to compensation. And then we've got states like California, all these surrounding states that they're like in the top five. And so what we've seen with people not caring where you work and remote work, hybrid work, however you want to title it, um, they're coming in and stealing this amazing talent from Utah and they're paying them 40, 60, like, for example, my brother-in-law, he just went from making like a 90,000 base to like almost double by switching to his competitor out of California. Oh my gosh. And so, I mean, who, who wouldn't take that job, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm selling the exact same thing just under a different label. And I got a double my salary. Plus I get stock options that guarantee me 40 grand a year, like really, really good compensation compared to where he was at. 
but then it saved his company 40% from hiring someone in California. And so how can states like Utah that are kind of lower in regards to compensation, step it up in regards to this hybrid work and remote stuff and make it fair and equal because like our rising cost of living and everything's going up and the, the salaries aren't. So I'm just curious on your thoughts on that. Oh man, this is a big problem. It's a really big problem yeah. because when we opened up a remote work, you almost have to go to a national average for pay or you can't compete because all of yeah. a sudden, like you said, everybody's pilfering people that before remote work just wasn't a thing very often. So I think companies are going to have to change the way they look at compensation. Now that presents the next problem, which is how do you balance the books? Companies have to balance the books at the same time, right? Um, Sure. I have, I know I'm oversimplifying this solution, but I have a big belief that you can use the same cost envelope. And if you get clear on how to reward those that are killing it, knocking it out of the park, you can create a different comp structure that changes every month or every quarter based on performance and retain the best and the brightest. We did this at a company I worked at. Everybody wanted the same college students, everybody. And so what would happen is somebody would pay $15 down the road and we were paying 14. And then somebody would go, oh, they're getting them at at 15. I'm going to pay 15, 25. And we just couldn't keep our best and brightest. What we did was say, we don't have more money to give but let's use the same cost envelope and we'll change compensation every month. Those who produce the most get up to 22 an hour. And those who do poor work, maybe only make 10 an hour. And we measured so quality. Like we did. Yeah. And we, well, we created um, okay. quality and production. So it was easier because it was a lower paying job. It's easier than these higher paying ones, but the concept yeah. I think still holds. And then every month it would reset. So if you blew it, you could make the decision, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I think I want to step it up. And what ended up happening is the people who were lower performers self-selected out and were like, yeah, go to the competitor. That's fine. But the people that did really well stuck with us and made way more than they would make elsewhere. And we needed less people and our production went up. So I think if companies get clearer on what success, the key success metrics, then they can develop compensation that moves up or down faster then this old version of, I'll give you an increase once a year, which I think is just outdated and dumb. I, I've never heard that concept before. I, I think it's genius. Yeah. Having that same cost envelope, but then rewarding those, the ones that are stepping up and, and taking it to the next level. Um, that's kind of like the project base that I was thinking like, Hey, here's the, the job. Here's the expectation. Here's yeah. what we're willing to pay for it. You get it done as fast as you can, right? Like as, as long as it's done to our expectations, you're getting paid for it and you're good to go. So, I mean, that, that could be, something you could stack with it or something, but yeah. that, that's creative. I like it. Cause companies have to, they have to still make a profit. They exist to make a profit. They don't have unlimited funds to just compete with California tomorrow, yeah. you know, or they're going to have to lay off a bunch of people, but I don't know. I think everybody's going to just have to rethink what is, what does success look like? And because Gen Z and millennials say they all seem to share this feeling of, look, it shouldn't matter how many hours it takes me to do it. Pay me for the job. Right. And they say the same thing. Like I, I shouldn't need five years of experience. If I can, if I have one year of experience and get the job done, pay me. Right. You don't have to pay your, this idea of paying your dues is just seems like foreign to them. So. That answers my follow-up question almost exactly. I mean, so now that, you know, say Utah or whatever state steps it up and increases their salaries, what about all those employees that have been working for them for two, five, 10 years? Do you go and increase all their salaries too? Cause you have to pay more for the market. 
or do you do the cost envelope thing? So, I mean, you can give me your, your two cents oh, on that, but I'm curious yeah. on how that works. Problem. It's a freaking problem <laughs> because yeah. pay to, now my HR hat, pay discrimination. Nothing irritates a hard worker who's put in the time in a company than them than the company hiring new people with less experience and paying them more to start. So you have yeah. to fix that. And most companies can't afford to do it in one fell swoop. So that's why you either need a production-based compensation plan that you move everybody yeah. to, which does feel more fair, or you you have to figure out two or three step plan to get people paid yeah. equitably, or you're going to get your butt suit off. Because it's happening like crazy right now, because what we talked about right at the beginning of our, our call was how do we hire these people, right? right? And a lot of people are thinking, let's just increase the wages. Well, when you increase it for, in after like even a two month period that you just hired your last employee by $6 an hour, because that's truly right. happening. Mm-hmm. That person that you hired two months ago is like, well, I want $6 more an hour. I just saw the job posting. I'm worth that as well. And it's like, oh, wow. And then you get the drama and the sort of like, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting cycle. So, yeah, it can be a mess. Well, there's going to be a lot of changes before it all sorts out, but it's an interesting conversation. And I love that we are able to talk about it. I, I want to just uh, give a plug to Eddie HR before we go, because it's a really cool product and it's a great product for small companies in particular. Uh, would you mind just giving, I'm giving you a couple of seconds, give a plug about what you do best over there and, and share with people. I love it. We, we make people's life simpler, right? We have the software out there to help your employees to be able to hire and retain them with simplicity, get rid of all paperwork, make everything electronic. But I, I would say even the most powerful thing we do is we help you with like that culture and that first impression. Like when you hire an employee, have that first impression, like, yeah, I want to work for this company. I'm so excited. But if on day one, they come in and you throw paperwork at them and you say, watch these training videos their level of excitement drops in half, if not more. And they're like, what did I just get myself into? Mm-hmm. And so EDHR, I think, helps them through the whole experience from hire to fire to maintain those good first impressions and, and have a really cool culture. So It's a great product for a small company, very affordable and um, something that typically small companies are just having their HR people kind of, or HR person or coordinator figure out on their own. It's a, it's a great product. So I'm going to put Thank my you. two cents worth there. Well, thank you, Jordan, for joining today. It was fun to talk about where we are and where we might end up and great to do it with another HR evangelist. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I've loved uh, chatting with you today. It's been great. Appreciate it, Tessa. Thank you. If you like my podcast, you will absolutely love my book. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success, Navigating Pay, Promotions, and Power at Work. I wrote it because I could see that people didn't understand why some people got ahead and some people's career stayed stagnant. So if you're interested in building a more frictionless career path for yourself and having a better experience with work, this is a book that you need to have. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to my website at thejobdoctor.com.